Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Studdard. And we are here today with Luis Garcia, very, very good friend of mine. And in fact, the reason why I changed my career path from being a music teacher to higher education. And Tom also knows Lewis from our time at Arizona State University. Do you see a theme here with the, the Sun Devils? I hope so. It, is, it was intentional, but have been very, very happy and loved getting to stay connected with Lewis and his family over the years and couldn't think of, an, of, of anybody else that would be any better than Lewis to come and talk to us about his experience working in a unique sector. So if you can get started, Lewis, by telling us about your background specifically in education. Thank you, Jamie and Tom for the invitation. I'm delighted to be here. And education has just been in my family and in my world. My dad was a high school teacher when I was growing up and was a te- has been a teacher in community colleges and different settings. And that's what he's done up until retirement. And I never went into it thinking I'm going to be in education. I went into a working world or at least at the, the college. I'm going to be an advertising and music exec. And I got the bug when I became an RA in, in the residence halls. And was just around really great people and, and, and resisted the urge to really consider it as a career until I did my first advertising internship. And I was just felt like, wow, it's just not about treating people well and not yeah. about having some kind of humanity impact. Or maybe I was just, just too hard and I just said, all right, I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> or maybe it wasn't with like. Kiss and the band, so therefore it was not good enough. <laughs> yeah, and, and so it, was, it started a great career and, and just uh, shifted a bit and, and got into the master's program for higher ed at the University of Florida. Go Gators. Go Gators, and, and had some teaching opportunities through the graduate program, and as well as branched out beyond residence life and worked in new student orientation and multicultural affairs. And it was just really neat environment to be around. And it, and I just thought about what a great career to have, to be around cool people, to be around this just energetic environment, to leave some good in the world. And yeah, and so I, I, I did that for a while. Awesome. Is it a- 
isn't it interesting how so many of us got our start in residence life? I mean, I think all three of us started <laughs> yep. in residence life and at least the people that, that I've interacted with, you know, ever since we even floated the idea of this podcast, you know, they work in residence life. And, and it's interesting to me because I think residence life is a unique microcosm within student affairs, right? Like what I experienced in residence life was very different than what I experienced in all the other roles in student affairs. You know, the, the late night duty calls, the uh, the maintenance part of your job, the crisis control part of your job. Residence life to me is like the jack of all trades. You literally wear every single hat when you're mm-hmm. in when you're in residence life. As opposed to when I worked in orientation, I, I, I never had to do maintenance. I never had to do crisis control. I wasn't doing judicial affairs. So it's interesting how many of us start in in, in residence life and and ultimately work our way up through through that program. Yeah, and it's still allowed for to seeing impact points. Yeah, it's based on kind of this relationship. You're living on the same place. You're experiencing some activities together. You're trying to be cool and make friends. Uh, but still, in the end of the day, you have responsibilities and developmental milestones that you were supposed to program around and, and all these things that wasn't about teaching. It was just more about setting up the right environment for others to thrive on their own and and I made that you know thread that I see continuing, and what I always did, and what I'm doing now is is how do we help other people to be in the right place to develop themselves, without me yeah. having to take the stance of I know what I'm I'm the expert and I'm going to impart my knowledge onto you. It's just a different way of being in education. Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you do now? Well, now I well, work for Big Brothers Big Sisters. So I guess the broader umbrella is I'm in the social sector, uh, the third sector. I, I, I try and refuse using the, the phrase nonprofit because there's no other industry that's a, a non of something. And I, or I might even say social profit sector where the profit is our society benefits from people developing their own path to success and building their own opportunities to thrive and, and and be happy. And then, you know, the, I think part of the value I bring is having an education background uh, and having just that, that foundation of, you know, student development theory and good old chickering and all those. I knew you were going to mention chickering at some point <laughs> in this call. <laughs> yeah. And those are meaningful. Those, those, you know, are, Things that help at least build the framework of there's people can be in different stages, in different areas of their lives. Funny that you mentioned chickering because I, even though I don't work with students on a daily basis, I still use student development theory and learning theory in everything that I do in terms of shaping the program. So I appreciate that you brought that to the table, even if Jamie's going to tease you about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will, I will tease him about anything I can. Uh, right. So. So theory is included. Can you go back to that, the time that you made your, your sort of first pivot out of a campus-based position? I'd love to know sort of what was or were the driving factors and how did you go about doing that? I think that your position, your first position was in Big Brothers, Big Sisters in Albuquerque. So I think folks listening would be curious to hear about that initial time period. Yeah, so I was in a residence life position and I looked at, all right, what do I want to do? What do I want to be when I, as I keep growing up? And being a director of housing was always there and just started realizing, you know, 
it's it's a really slow process working your way up in housing and so i and we don't get many opportunities to to understand financing and budgeting and really deep risk management issues yeah we may be on the implementation side of uh, policing it but not necessarily on the strategic side and so i you know after taking a little dip into a, a doctoral program in education uh, I, I felt like I I have some business acumen. I have an advertising degree and some background in that. And I just think that would, could just be valuable in education. And if I wanted to be a director of housing, I need the business side of things. And that was probably the, the class in college I didn't do well in was accounting. So I figured I need to get some, some chops on this. And it was a, a really eye-opening experience being in the business college because in my cohort, of a master's in entrepreneurship, I was the only person in like a human field. Everything else was startup or corporate. Uh, and, and I looked around the room like, wow, like I'm the only person in here thinking about education. And, and I just felt like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to run a business that did something in education? Uh, I didn't know what, I didn't have an idea and I didn't have any money when I finished the program. <laughs> and so, when we moved to Albuquerque, I literally picked up the newspaper out of the garbage at a Dunkin' Donuts that had Wi-Fi, uh, <laughs> so I could look for a job once we moved out there. And I saw a little tiny ad about program director, big brothers, big sisters. We have we do mentoring and we have some school-based programs. And I'm like, well, maybe there's a tie-in there. And I knew nothing about anything in the social sector. But when I went to the interview and started learning about it, I just fell in love with the environment of, wow, we could be in a business, a small business, and have impact, positive impact in the community. And I was hooked right away. As a program director, that was more on the actual mentoring operation side. And I got introduced to the whole business. There's, you know, fund development, fundraising side. There's accounting and finance team, there's HR, there's all those things that in a smaller environment, at least I got to get my hands dirty and everything. And from there, it was, I'm, I'm hooked in, in, in this small business environment. Were you specifically looking for something out of a campus-based position or were you at that time open to wherever you would land? I was open. I actually looked in Albuquerque uh, and there just wasn't, there was one university there with residence life and it wasn't the fit. But with the entrepreneurship degree, you know, in hindsight, and, and that person who hired me, she's still one of my mentors today. I, I think that was part of the click was seeing the value and having a higher ed background as well as business yeah. book learning. And I could uh, <laughs> uh, do something for the organization. I think what people will really enjoy hearing about is that there's opportunities outside of a campus-based role to do the types of things that you're doing. You know, when I, when I first left the university setting, I was really nervous about not being able to mentor, not being able to see the success of, yeah, you know, either students or my peers and, and to hear you talk about some of the things that you've been able to do at Big Brothers and Big Sisters and make that human connection and that human impact is so important for those of us who started in education and, and were attracted to education because of that human and social impact, but are nervous about making the leap because 
they think of corporate as money or they think of startup as there's a lot of work to be done and you're you know sort of giving up your entire life in order to make that work but to know that there's opportunities out there that that bring in those transferable skills and 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 allow you to still you know feel whole about what you're doing i think is is a really important story to hear and so as you talk about some of those skills that that you're that you've brought over i'm really interested to know like how did you think about transferring those skills over? You know, how did you think about student development theory and crisis management and some of the other things that we do in student affairs and bringing that into your new role? And not only how did you see it, but how were you able to explain it to, you know, whether it was the people that were interviewing you or even today, you know, how do you explain those, what you did in higher ed and how it impacts or transfers over to what you do now? I, you just gave me flashbacks of that time, thinking about that fear of doing something different and could I handle it? And am I prepared for it? And, and, and I think when you're in, or at least what I've observed, when you're in, say, residence life, you feel like there's just the distance between you and the next phases are so distant because they do put up barriers and protections and limitations. But I remember the people on the other side feeling like, wow, you've done crisis management, you've done supervision, hiring, firing, uh, small, albeit uh, budgeting. You can talk to maintenance, you can talk to custodial at a respectful like All these different instances where you do get to build some transferable skills. And that doesn't happen in the corporate world where you're, you're in one department and you interact with very similar people very similar experienced people, whether it's a department, and you don't get to delve into all those areas. So pretty soon I realized I was prepared very nicely coming out of higher ed and resident life because of the experience, especially the supervision and handling crisis situations. You don't get that. Someone's life was in your hands when you're on call. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) And, and, And that's a that helps with decision making, and and for in the interview process, I mean, those those kind of things are great testimonial. When and asked, what are some of the skills you bring from another job or not from higher ed? It's uh, I can make decisions in any kind of situation, high stress, do interacting with different kinds of people, and even you know dealing with drunk freshmen. <laughs> I can prepare you for anything. <laughs> Wait, are you telling me that freshmen drank in your residence hall? Yeah, right. Mm, no, when I was at ASU, there were no freshmen not drinking, all. not at all. So, and I would give this advice to any young person. It's, you know, look at the skills that aren't, you know, the traditional ones at the top of the headlines when you're looking for a new job, but really what are all the things you were exposed to and you were part of? And maybe it wasn't your everyday thing you were handling crisis, but you know, you're once a quarter on call, that's, that's pretty important. And, and you can build stories behind all of those experiences. If there's also things learned that are very different, uh, you know, do you have to make decisions faster? When you ask for money, usually in higher ed, you, you're expected to, to hear no because of all the red tape. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's only one closet True. for supplies. There is a committee uh, that would decide on the the money, though you forgot about that, and then a committee <laughs> about the committees. <laughs> yeah, so I, I felt I had to learn how to oftentimes make important decisions about the resources because they're not as as broad. 
every dollar is, is very different in, in a small organization than it is in a giant university. So there's, there's also opportunities to learn some things, obviously. But the fear is real. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. I mean, any industry change, I'd be scared to go back now uh, in higher yeah. ed. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, I, I know that's a lot. People are think about that a lot, I, I think, is I know I did, was especially because I built my identity around higher ed and uh, being a student affairs person. It is can you go back? And we do have a, a VPSA who's going to come and talk about how they perceive the experiences of folks who left, but it, it is, it does feel like it's a forever decision too. And, and I, I think there's a reality that to some extent it could be depending on what else you've done, you know, in the interim, but. You know, I'm, I'm really struck by, you know, I, I, I didn't stay in residence life as long as you did, Lewis. And I think even Jamie was in residence life longer than I was, that it really is a training ground for just about anything. And I think back to even the 18 months that I was in residence life, I still use those skills today. Like you talked about, like I can speak to the janitor, I can speak to the custodian, I can speak to our graphic designer, I can speak to, you know, just about anything, you know, I can, I, I stay behind and make sure that the kitchen is cleaned up after work, you know, the little things that we just learned how to do in residence life, but also the big things, you know, how to, how to interact with a student in crisis, you know, not to say that I have a lot of employees in crisis, but I'm, I'm able to pick up on the signs when maybe they're having, you know, a bad day or, or perhaps there's a, a mental health check that we need to do, or it, it's, it's just amazing to hear you sort of eloquently put what you learn in residence life 100% transfers over. It's just a matter of how you sell it. It's just a matter That's of right. how you talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of my program at University of Florida was in counseling education. So I did have to take some of those counseling courses. And I'm not saying I'm a trained counselor, but in any industry that transfers over very well, especially as being in executive positions, gaining that insight into your employees, what's what's the temperature of the employees, workplace culture, how how far can I push buttons and instigate and, <laughs> and push things, but by still having an understanding of people's reactions. And um, yeah. So it sounds like you were have been able to articulate well how your experience experiences transition, but I know a lot of folks listening right now are probably in that phase of how do I envision it and then how do I document and sell it? And just curious if you have anything additionally you would add to sort of how you achieved the transferability of what you had done. So back then, I mean, we're talking 15, 16 years ago. I, <laughs> when you say document, I think of this portfolio I used to have of all my higher ed, you know, uh, brochures I built and binders and flyers and and and, and I organize it in terms of how would a advertising mind look at this someone outside of higher ed uh, because the higher ed folks they understand what it's for but someone outside of education have no idea what the heck this True, this yeah. thing is and and it, I, I did do remember a few job interviews carrying that portfolio and it, the work wasn't impressive I could tell but the fact that I had something that was organized specific to that employer and it was looking for an advertising job once before I got with Big Bros Big Sisters. Um, again, translate, transferable. You, know, you do these things on campus 
a, you know, multiple roles and you can use those to talk about you have dabbled in different areas. And so it was a physical book, but that in terms of an executive, as I moved up an executive position, that became less relevant to have, oh, here's the flyers I made, that kind of, <laughs> uh, but more valuable became, I got to sit on some committees and task forces uh, talking yeah. about budgeting or help plan the new residence hall and the design. So the things you learn in the design is traffic flows and exits and workstation setup. Like that's all stuff that you may seem like it's just a silly committee you're on. And maybe the advice is sit on some committees if you're in, in education, don't yeah. just do yeah. the teaching or, or the everyday work, get involved in different things on campus and planning things so you can hear how strategic conversations happen. Uh, and then over time, those became more important. Like what's the lingo in the executive boardroom? What are the conversations about the five and 10 year plans, not what we're doing for fall opening? Yeah. Uh, those are, those things, I think as I became executive, I could look back. And even after I was in, in, in Big Brothers Big Sisters for many years, I was pretty intentional to make sure in an interview that I could grab some nuggets from you know the career 10 years prior, 15 years prior, now 17 years prior, because it's part of the storytelling. It's part of you're selling yourself in an interview and, and having something to talk about. That doesn't become irrelevant. I, I love that you talk about the committees and, and sort of the experience and exposure when you're in higher ed, and you know, I, I go back to even my relationship with Jamie. You know, one of the things that I did when when I first moved out of student affairs into university advancement was brought her into a planning team for 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 ASU's homecoming. And I, you know, I think back to the committees and the work that I did outside of my job that were the most impactful, and they were the ones that not only taught me strategy but also taught me sort of skills beyond the scope of what my day-to-day -day was, but it also got me exposure to other elements, right? Like one of the things that I often share with people who are looking to, for, you know, maybe to go into learning and development positions, because that's happens to be what I do is, you know, your human resources at your university has an L&D person, maybe go shadow them, maybe go think about the other areas of the university that you can start to get exposure in that almost give you a jumping off point to then move outside of the university bubble. Because, you know, in student affairs, we often talk about Higher education is not a business, but the rest of the university thinks of it as a business. And so as you, as you think about, you know, if you, are you interested in L&D? Are you interested in account management? Are you interested in finance? All of those are in the, in the bubble of a university. So go get that experience or go shadow those folks and, and pick up those skills, whether it's through committee work or interning or even just to, you know, I'm going to shadow with you, you know, once a week. Uh, it's such great advice to start to build that that transferable skills. And Lewis, I will share with you that I also had a binder. And I remember <laughs> I took it to an interview for a director position at a community college for student activities. And they didn't have time during the interview to look at it. So they're like, can you please leave it? And I left it and I never went back and got it because I realized in that moment, this is no longer going to help me get to those, those positions. It helped me get here. It's not going to help me get there. But there's days that I wonder if they still have that at that community college. It was like 20 years ago, but I'm like, they've got it on a shelf somewhere looking at it. <laughs> That's fine. I still have mine. It's in my like, professional file. Just to nice. Look back. Awesome. Every time I we develop in it. <laughs> so let's switch gears a little bit. So, you know, you've been out of, of higher education for some time. 
What do you like about being out of the campus-based role, but also on the flip side, what are the things that, that you miss about, about being sort of at, you know, on a campus or, or at the university, university life? I remember vividly my first few years out of a campus-based role, it was incredible to have weekends back and not to be tied to the campus and especially yes. in Res life. You know, they, they know what you drive, they know <laughs> where you live, they know what you wear, everything about you. And, and you'd have to escape campus, but it was, it was so refreshing being able to walk away from work and not ever be on call again. And so, <laughs> Um, I remember going to my first university football game after not being in student affairs and having to work the football games and being able to finally enjoy college athletics and not have to be in the student section making sure that they were behaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, with Big Brothers Big Sisters, we have an important mission in terms of uh, trying to ignite the power and promise of young people through mentoring. And, and I've always had a, a little bit of rebellion in me and not no. necessarily as an activist, but a, <laughs> a little bit of rebellion. And you know that that's something I do miss from a campus. And I'm glad that the, you know that it's a safe place where people can speak their minds. There's just a culture of creativity and diversity. But that that's that's tough to find it as as rampant out, outside of a campus environment. I mean, it's the the workplace. It's very different outside of education. I, that was tough at the beginning, but I think, you know, we've evolved this society even in the, over the past 10 years, 15 years. It's become more important in the workplace to be talking about equity and diversity and, and social justice. It's still safer on a college campus, but I think that's something that I miss, but I'm glad that I still bring it. As a, you know, I call it being a co-conspirator now in the, out in, in the private world, because it's just as important. It doesn't just end when you're 21 or 22 and, and, and it's a lifelong thing. Of course, you, you also miss about being on college campuses, the fun that you have working with people. And then those people become your friends like me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's some, no, you're not just joshing. It's it's true. It is uh, true. That you're this intimate space and on a campus and, and you're kind of in this ecosystem and, and you have a lot of ups and downs in that ecosystem and you don't escape it when it's your campus life. Yeah. And you make really great friendships and, and yep. you know, our friendships going on 22, 23 years now. Yep. And so um that I find, you know, I can't replicate that in a lot of environments. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think about, you know, my closest friends, even to this day, are friends that I had, you know, when I was a student or when I worked at a university. I mean, I, I look at Jamie, who I've known since 1998. Um, and yet, he, you know, here we are 20 plus years later. And for sure, the, the closest of my close friends are the ones that that we had that bond on the college campus. And, you know, some of us have left, some of us are still there, but you're right. There's an intimacy of the college bubble and, and the, whether you work in advising or residence life or orientation, there's a shared, there's some, there's somewhat of a shared experience that you're all going through as you maneuver sort of the higher education landscape. So it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I would say to advice 
someone thinking about the transition is what can you bring of that to another work environment? So how can you create, so as you become middle manager or executive positions, like how can you create spaces for your employees to have some kind of moments together or outside of doing their work? I mean, how can you help them create the bonds and friendships uh, that we were able to create when we were younger in education? Because it wasn't necessarily because we were in education, it's because the environment had this intimacy. So yeah. uh, I I often think about how can we replicate that, create memories for the young people so they yeah. talk 25 years later about the friends they made in their first big brother's, big sister's job or whatever. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I don't know that I'd want anyone telling some stories on a podcast, but uh, <laughs> but, but no, it was, it, I, I actually really like that you bring it back in that way because we all, I often think about building community for college students in my current role um, who are on college students in an online setting, but, you know, not as much about how to replicate that, uh, these feelings of, of community and the close friendships with coworkers. But I think it's even more important to think about strategies when you are all sort of dispersed in some capacity. So I think that's a, a really cool point. Yeah. Is that um, phrase still used? Building community on campus? <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, well, now it's building digital communities because oh, of, you know, universities trying to do that due to COVID right now. But that's something that we're kind of always trying to encourage campuses to do. So um, there's lots of unique things that that they're they're doing to try to to build community or socially engaged students. That's the other. There you go. Engagement, stakeholder engagement. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think the, the last two nuggets that, that we'd like to ask you about are, um, and you can choose the order, but if there's any additional advice that you haven't shared as you think about folks that are looking to pivot out of campus-based positions, I suspect people will find your past super interesting because of notably the service to others that has been you know woven throughout your experience so any additional advice you have but then also what do you envision yourself doing next wow well i guess the advice part is and, and tom you echoed it too is get involved in learning other things interacting with the people from different departments on campus and as not just for the experience, but also if you're thinking about leaving, I mean, it's almost a necessity to gain an understanding of the language used outside of student affairs or whatever it is. It's really important to have uh, kind of that education and corporate code switching where you can talk to different, different languages. Yeah, different you can audiences. say like, let's look at the macro of this <laughs> issue. <laughs> yeah, as well as, you know, you. Don't undersell yourself. And, you know, it's not that you can now go out as a you know a young person thinking you can be a CEO of a nine billion dollar corporation just because you're in campus-based life. But but really, you do have some great things that you can build stories around in your job searching. And, and uh, so don't be afraid to do that. And uh, keep in contact with people from those lives because we do become dispersed all over. And in different yeah. industries, different campuses, uh, and 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 you could find yourself calling on them for advice in whatever role you're doing, with accounting or 
strategic planning, whatever it is, it's really yeah. you have your really great cohort to go back to and talk about things. What do I see myself doing? So I, I've been a CEO for over, for over 10 years and I've always wanted to work at our headquarters, Big Brothers, mm -hmm. Big Sisters of America. So I've only been here a year in a new position looking at innovations and effectiveness. And I think it fits me well because part of two that's always been in me and, and a, being in a campus environment fed it was that every day is different and and just this angst on we got to do something different we got to do something better there's there's something around the corner that can be done differently and i think uh i see myself helping the rest of our network right i've been at the local level helping families and communities now my job is to help the 230 other big brothers big sisters to do well in their local communities i i now I'm at the point where I'm thinking I got 20 more years before I retire. So <laughs> before I get to and we're in similar uh, boats, Lewis. Similar boats. Yeah. I totally I used to make fun of you back in the day about being older. Do you remember that? And it's so funny because now it's no, like neg negligible because we're both over 40. But back then I was like, come on, old guy. That was, was so if, bad. And we were like <laughs> a year or two apart. It was <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was maybe four or five, but still. <laughs> yeah, I I see myself doing Big Brothers, Big Sisters for a little bit more. I wouldn't mind one day. How cool would it be to go back in, in some kind of business role at a campus? I'd love to be around that environment, whether in procurement or in, on the auxiliary, just something in the business hmm. side. I think it'd be really fun really cool um, and maybe when my kids get to college i can get back pretending i'm a college freshman and going to football games with them <laughs> i always said i would be the worst dad to accompany my kids to college especially at orientation like i just oh, I feel yeah. bad for any program that has to deal with me as as, as the father bringing their kids to campus <laughs> that's so true right lewis is gonna be like um did you make sure and get your RAs names? Because I might need to follow up with them at some point during the year. How funny. No, I wish I had a magical answer. I don't. I, you know, I've been in the social sector now going into 17 years, which is longer than my higher ed time. But I still feel like they're so very similar. So I don't. Yeah. I think that's really cool though, Lewis, that you don't have the magic answer, right? And I think that our listeners will appreciate that because so many of them are looking to make that first pivot and they don't know what the future holds. And none of us really do. Like, you know, you talk about potentially going back into, into the university world, but perhaps in, you know, the business affairs or auxiliary services, there are moments where I think, yeah, I could go back into higher ed as, as a classroom teacher now, instead of, you know, as an administrator and there's definitely the the paths are so open for so for for all of us. We, you know, it's really what we want and and what we want to do, and it's just a matter of of starting to gain those skills. and And I think that you speak perfectly to that, and I really appreciate your story. Well, thank you for that. Appreciate it. You know, I, I get to throw something out there just because yeah. it just hit me about advice. Yes. You know, something people don't always think about how they can impact the community in terms of service. You know, you can come out of education and be a really good advisor on a board of directors for an organization. 
and your That's community. That's a good point, yeah. And, and, and again, you could be around other great people in the business world and education world, but you come with a unique set of skills and experience coming out of education where you could be a really good asset to a social organization in, in your community. So I'd, I'd say get involved that way. That's a good point. And I, I mean, that resonates a lot with me as being, I mean, I, I do work adjacent to higher ed, but I have been missing the mentorship component of working at a university, as well as just like being closer to the people I am impacting. And I was randomly asked, you guys are both going to like make fun of me for this, because I know, you know, I don't have this time on my hands, but I did agree to be the PTA president for my daughter's school. And (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I know I don't have the time, but, but I'm, I'm really actually jazzed about it because it does achieve what you, and I don't, I think it wasn't until you said it that I realized, well, I mean, at first I did do what you, you both would have advised me to do. I was like, I'm not that crazy. I don't have that time but they really didn't have anyone to step in. And so I did agree to do it, but then I found myself feeling excited. And I think it was for the reasons you mentioned, Lewis, it's just, you know, I've wanted to feel more connected to, to some smaller community that I have more of a direct impact. So, so here I am asking them a lot of questions as I come in, like, can I get your uh, bylaws? And, you know, (laughs) I'm like, maybe they might regret afterwards. But at any rate, I do think that that is a really good point that there's different ways people can connect to their why, regardless as to the paid position they hold. Look on that. Thanks. Thank you. Well, well, Lewis, it was such an honor for us to have you on our podcast. We're so thankful that you were able to come in and share your story. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy it. We look forward to to sharing your story with them. If you're okay with it, we'd love to be able to also share your contact information on our website. And if folks have an interest in getting in touch with you, it sounds like that is okay with you. Great. Well, again, thank you so much. We look forward to it. And Make sure you encourage your colleagues and friends to download our podcast. It's Pivoting Out of EDU. Thank you so much. Thank you. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website, at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.